Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy-to-understand way. My name is Shervin, and I'm your host. Let's get started. Hi again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. For today, I wanted to tackle and highlight the topic of divorce, which is something many people have experienced, whether it's within their own parents, themselves, something they've heard about, or people they know. And to get started, I wanted to list out some statistics that I found in the U.S. and in Canada. So in 2022, the divorce rate among couples aged 25 to 39 is 24 per 1,000 people, and older couples divorce slightly less frequently. So 21 divorces per 1,000 people in adults ages 40 to 49, and then couples older than 50 is 10 per 1,000 people. And with these kind of numbers, you know, it doesn't take into consideration if the there's one person who's a lot older or younger, how long they've been together, when they got divorced, but just to give you an idea of general numbers. And then during the peak of the pandemic, I was interested in knowing this, but actually divorces fell by 19% in the U.S. and the numbers are lower than a decade ago, which is the same in Canada where the number of divorces has decreased over the years. And the top three cited causes include adultery or cheating, physical cruelty or domestic abuse, and mental cruelty or emotional abuse. However, it is important to keep in mind that these challenges and disagreements They add up from various things like finances and intimacy. They all help develop or lead to these causes. So when I was researching for this episode, I found that there is a large amount of data available, including information like the median duration of marriages, ages and gender of couples, and whether or not divorces are filed jointly. So that's something that you could check out if you were interested to find out more about. But regardless of all of that, there is an incredible amount of stigma and shame that revolves around divorce. And I hope that today's episode can help us to actually see the other side of it. And for today, I'm joined by Cody Packer, who is going to share his experiences with divorce and for him, how it was his greatest gift. Welcome to the podcast, Cody. Thank you so much for having me, Shervin. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, I can't wait to really get into this because I think there is, like you said, there is this elephant in the room around divorce or elephant in the world that just is not spoken about. And I think divorce is a great opportunity for whoever is going through it to learn about themselves, you know, on a deeper level and um, really bring themselves back to what they want in life um, and how they want to move forward and what wasn't working. So um, that's how I've used it, uh, you know, to be one of the greatest gifts that has ever happened to me and granted, it did take me a while to get there, but um, yeah, I can't wait to share all my reflections um, and my learnings from what I've been through um, on the show today. Thanks, Cody. And of course, it definitely took you time to get to where you are now. 
And we're going to do our best, of course, to protect the privacy of the people involved. But whatever you think you're comfortable with sharing or letting us know, maybe to start off with really backtracking, I'm curious, what did divorce mean to you or look like to you growing up? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So I would say that divorce to me growing up was a thing that I experienced between my own parents. Um, when I was 22, I just moved to America. Um, but prior to that, divorce to me meant that whatever you had, be it a relationship, it would mean that it was a failure. There was this uh, heaviness around what it meant to be divorced, like a social shame, an embarrassment, a guilt, particularly for men, I feel like. And what I noticed was, you know, that was presented to us in school, in media, in a lot of different avenues where it was like avoid divorce at all costs. Now, through the lens that I look at life, what resists always persists. So if we're resisting an outcome. We are actually subconsciously on a deep level uh, trying so hard to avoid it that we're actually creating it with our energy. So what I actually believe is a lot of divorce is actually because a lot of people are so scared and terrified because we're attached to that embarrassing, shameful, societal kind of uh, labor we've put on it, that more people are just trying to avoid having a divorce than actually loving their partner and trying to navigate the throes of love and intimacy. Um, and I'll get into my experience of that later. But what that looked like for me at the age of 22 was experiencing my parents' divorce. Uh, was three months after I moved to America, I made, you know, the big decision. I'm, you know, I'm going to leave New Zealand and I'm going to go on my own to move to America. I had a holiday with my parents in Indonesia right before I left. And I knew something was kind of up then. And it wasn't until after I got to the States one month after I'd landed there that I got a Skype call from, you know, my mum and dad, and they were just in tears. And, you know, my dad explained his decision to leave my mum, And that was my first real, you know, kind of taste of divorce. And the energy I felt from it was this, this embarrassment and this kind of like, it was like a taboo thing to talk about. There wasn't a lot of space to ask questions. Uh, and it was a quite a jarring experience for me. Like I remember it was uh, quite, I would say, traumatizing on my, on my nervous system. I was very confused also because I was really removed from it. You know, my brother was still in the house and he was younger than me. And I was just removed from the environment. It was quite... Uh, challenging for me to process. So what actually happened was I internalized a lot of it and I didn't actually have a space to be able to completely move through the, through those emotions and also ask questions to my parents. Because like when I went home a year later, it was like, there was this energy of like, Oh, let's just try and 
you know, you're with dad and then you're with mum and like, let's not really talk about what happened. Let's just try to you know, like move on as if everything is kind of normal, even though a lot had changed. So it was just a very interesting, it was interesting observing their perceptions around it too. And obviously just what it meant to them. And um, then obviously three years later, four years later, I got my own experience of it. And I would say the opportunity to break the stigma around that on my own. And thanks for sharing that with us, Cody. I, while my parents are still together, there are so many instances. And even now growing up, I would constantly be thinking, okay, why don't my parents just get a divorce? Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't say my parents got married out of love, as is the case with many parents of the older generation. A lot of it is either through convenience or culturally, or if it's something that the parents had wanted, lots of other reasons outside of love. And my parents, they didn't have opportunities like we do today to learn about what healthy communication, healthy relationships and secure attachment styles look like, all these different things to make a relationship work in a healthy way. Whereas we're starting to get an idea of how that actually looks like. And for me, you know, I ask myself this question from time to time, would it have been better if my parents got a divorce? Or is it better that they've been together so I have that quote unquote consistent and structured family life, but with a lot of chaos, a lot of arguments, a lot of painful words being exchanged. And to be honest, I don't know because I haven't lived the other side of it, of having parents living in different places and moving from one place to another place or seeing parents at different times. I don't know how that feels like, so I can't really say. And I know that with friends, their parents, not too many of them got divorced, at least not that I know of. And I think a large part of it is, like you said, the stigma. And not only that, but how it looks like, you know, reputation-wise, oh, come from a broken family, or if you're divorced, you're less likely to find someone suitable who wants to get married to you. I was reading a book recently where people found that when they are dating after a divorce, they have a hard time finding someone who hasn't gotten married before as a partner. And usually to date again after a divorce, people are often finding other people who have been divorced because otherwise it's hard to find interest. So that's a small sample of what I've read from a book. But as you can hear, there are so many differences that come with divorce and how each person, each family deals with it. But I'm curious to learn about what your story, what your experiences with divorce have been like in your own relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So I was in a, I had a very unique relationship that ended in divorce. So we, um, we met why I was at film school uh, in Chicago and we dated for about two to two and a half years 
and it was beautiful, uh, very harmonious. Um, yeah, really loving relationship. And then I, you know, was going through a work visa thing at the time. Uh, I'd just come out of college in America. And for anyone that knows, there is a work visa process that if you're an international student, you have to apply for it. Now, I luckily had a job at a corporate ad agency at the time. I had all my future, you know, in my mind laid out in front of me. And then the work visa that they paid for um, that I was put up for the H1B, which is still a lottery, you know, I just want people to know, you know, that my company paid like $8,000 to do my work visa. And it was still only about a 22% chance in the lottery. And I remember they called me into the office one day and they said to me, we're so sorry, you didn't actually get the work visa. And that year was a really interesting time. There was a record number of applications. So they told us way later than they normally do, which means that when I got the information that I didn't get it, the legal team said, well, you only have 10 days now to actually leave the country or get married. And we had spoken about this, you know, as a partnership, we knew that this was one of the possibilities. And, um, you know, my partner at the time, she just said, look, if it comes to it, just ask me if you want, you know, if we need to go down, you know, the marriage route, the only way that I can honestly give you an answer is for you to ask me in the moment, if you feel like it, and I'll just give you my honest answer. Like we can't really do anything more than that. So, she knew what had happened when I came home from school, um, uh, not school. She knew what had happened when I came home from work that day. And I asked her and she said, yes, we went through our relationship for another two and a half years. And honestly, the anxiety and the stress of it really added to it. Like where we were just thrust together and everything needed to get very serious, very quickly. We needed to get you know, married with inside of 10 days. We needed to join bank accounts. We needed to move in together. Everything to go with the process of what you need to do to the, you know, for the American government over here, just put an extra pressure on our relationship. And then over time, it just started to erode. And uh, one, one day I got back from a work trip in the UK and I had found out that um, that my wife had cheated on me. And in the space of two days, I also lost my job. So all these things that I was finding security in and my own level of inner peace were just ripped from me, completely ripped from me. And I remember it being this terribly painful and it was like I was completely stripped nude lying on the floor just in heartbreak and I just didn't know where my life was going to go and I felt like you know to your point I felt all the shame I felt all the pain and I felt all of the guilt of like did I do something to cause this like am I a failure and you know it was probably about three to four weeks of letting that wash over me along with I just want to add into people so they know this I could not express my anger. That was a big part of my learning. When I found out that my wife had cheated on me, 
there was not a bone in my body. I had learned over time to not express my needs and put everyone else's before mine. I did not have a way to healthily express my anger. So I held on to it and held on to it and held on to it because I wanted her to feel okay. And it was this very confusing thing of like, I had all this emotion wanting to boil over, but I didn't allow myself to experience it because it was almost going into that, like denial of what was happening. But also, you know, as a man, I think at that moment, I realized how much we had been told to just hold on and be the rock, be the anchor through this. And I was like, well, where, like, where was the space for me to actually honor my part of the process, which involved anger and heartbreak? So that was the start of a huge learning curve for me of like, whoa, this is actually just revealing to me all the places in my life and in my own identity where I'm not free and where I'm not uh, harmonized in the wholeness of me. So then I started to have this switch of like, whoa, could this be an opportunity rather this, than this being this terrible thing that why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I started asking the question, what is this trying to teach me? What opportunities is this opening up to me to help me better understand myself and what these reflections are telling me about what I've also allowed because there was a element of this by not speaking up for my needs by um, not expressing myself over time I mean I avoided conflict in my relationship like no other I would never really express what was on my heart I would always so this was all just a chance to reflect on that and also put my hand up and say, you know what, there was an aspect of myself that is responsible for creating this reality, not from a place of blaming myself or judging myself, but as a place to grow from. And that's a completely different energy of looking at something that is being put in front of you and getting so intimately in acceptance with what it is without like a meaning attached and just getting curious about what it is trying to teach you. Yeah, that question started opening a lot of doors to the man that you're hearing now on this podcast that went on a two, three year journey after that on his own where he didn't date, where he just got intimately to know his own self and explore who he is without a job, without a wife, and actually do everything that I wasn't taught and that society doesn't, you know, kind of teach us because what the world teaches us and a lot of what I was getting around me at that time was, oh, just go get another girlfriend, you know, just drink, go and have a good time. Just, you know, basically just numb yourself from experiencing what's going on. And me being the deep human being and curious human being that I am, I did not want to do that. And I felt like there was a lot of gold in my experience to actually, um, unpack over time but also just to be with and just experience different you know kind of depths of myself and as I was experiencing these emotions we normally run from I was actually growing and expanding as not only a leader but a man and a partner and a friend 
because my capacity was increasing as I was able to, I guess, ride the waves of what was presented to me. And thank you for sharing those details with us, Cody. It, it's hard to go through those changes whenever, but I imagine, you know, you've moved here, you had to do, make a really quick decision about your future and happening in your 20s too where there's a lot of transitions that you're going through and when I think about what you got out of it it's not so much you know I I don't think people get married thinking that they're going to get divorced I would like to hope that's not the case when people are looking to get married but what I also hear out of all of this is the ability for you to dive into that self-reflection you know maybe during the marriage you didn't have the chance to like you said express yourself or to communicate and that left maybe misunderstandings or frustrations that weren't set do you feel that now um, I'm not sure if you're in a relationship or relationships after have they been more healthy for you or have you been able to express yourself now Yeah, that's a great question. So just for people listening, after I got out of this, you know, relationship, and I went through this journey of reflection, like you said, I started to practice what I wanted to call in in my next relationship. Now, I wasn't in a rush to get there. I wasn't using dating apps. I was in full just trust of like, getting to know me and practicing what I wanted in a partner on my own to friends and to family. I would then get a external reflection of that, maybe in the form of a partner. And um, yeah, I'm in a relationship now, which is my first, I guess, serious relationship um, after the divorce. And it's completely different. And it is everything that I asked for. It is challenging. It is loving in new ways that I haven't experienced before. And because I think love is presented to us as this like beautiful, whimsical, um, easy thing in movies where it's all just like sweep you off your feet and this and this and this. But I think love is a beautiful dance between like growing together individually and learning each other's love languages. And, you know, that can be challenging, triggering, beautiful, harmonizing, everything. So this relationship I'm in right now is, yeah, it's a beautiful playground, I call it, where I can express myself, express my needs, um, express my desires, learn to listen and receive like from my partner as well. And yeah, practicing the art of healthy communication, because it is that it is an art form. I truly believe that it's a ongoing creative process between the two of you (laughs) and um i think you know if i didn't have all that time reflecting on the lessons and reflecting on uh what i also need from me and also want from a partner i don't think um you know there's you always hear you know, I've, you know, I've been around a lot of friends and people that I've worked with as well that, you know, they get out of a relationship and they just attract basically the same kind of partner because they didn't take the time to take the lessons away. And then they're just attracting that identical partner 
as a way to relearn those lessons until they actually get the lessons to then be like, oh yeah, you know what? I actually do need to practice this healthy communication. I do need to not, you know, not be practicing whether it's people pleasing or codependency or whatever it is, um, anxious stuff. Um, I guess you'll keep getting those lessons until you find a way to work through them. So yeah, I think that's a great question because what I notice in this relationship now is that I'm much more open to conflict. I'm much more open to love looking completely different. I'm much more open to evolving as a couple rather than just being attracted to the person that I met initially. That was a big thing in my last relationship. We were both attracted to the art, uh, you know, who we were when we met. And then the growth part of it was really challenging for both of us because we wanted to stay in that idea of the people we were when we met. And I think, um, you know, from my perspective, a lot of people get caught up when you're going through divorce. Most people are actually caught up in the idea of who they wish the other person to be rather than actually the person that is in front of them in reality. And that's why I think there's a lot of confusion and uh, there's a lot of, you know, kind of confusion and pain and troubles around, you know, divorce, because there's this dance between reality and illusion. Yes. And I think there's two sides to it. On one side, it's that fantasy, it's that illusion, what your expectations, your hopes are. And sometimes it's being built up internally and those expectations begin to seep through where you're expecting certain things from your partner. You know, I think of individuals who have told me they expect their partner to have flowers for them for their birthday xyz things all done and then they're disappointed when all these things have been met so i asked them well did you talk about it with this person of what you want and what you like and your preferences did you communicate that and usually it's well of course i didn't it's supposed to be a surprise for me you know if they loved me they would do that for me and Usually that kind of ends up in disaster because there's a lot of frustration involved, a lot of, do you even love me? Do you care about me? If you did, you would have done this for me. And I get that, you know, it's like you said, in movies, we see these really easy love scenarios where people are being treated like they're princesses or whatever it might be. And so that's the one side of it that I see, that fantasy, that illusion. And then on the other side of it, I've also heard of scenarios where people, they blame everyone but themselves, you know? And let's say if your partner had cheated on you, yes, your partner was the one who did the cheating, not you. So in that sense, you know... there's that kind of, there's no really right or wrong, but in this case, you know, there's that wrong there. But when you start blaming everyone else and not thinking about how you can develop, how you can communicate or, you know, what led to your partner doing that. And I'm not saying that, oh, you know, you're the one who caused your wife to cheat or your husband to cheat or whatever. But I think this is also an opportunity, like you said, to reflect and think about, 
how you can grow from this situation and what had happened. So there's kind of two ways that I saw it when you were explaining that situation to me. And what I'm also curious to know about Cody is when you have found out about the cheating, did you try to work through it or what was that experience like for you to go through that process of divorce? Yeah, this is, I really, really appreciate you asking this question because, you know, we need to have conversations around this. This is a very common thing that happens with a lot of people. And I feel like people don't want to dive into these conversations. So I love this. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I'm just going to be really honest here. That it was probably one of the most challenging things that I've been through. Um, I actually didn't get told. I actually found out. So I remember I was going to sleep one night. My ex-wife was already asleep and her laptop was going off like crazy with iMessages, like 10 in a row. And, you know, I normally very, very um, clear, like with like honoring boundaries, uh, there was already something that had been brought up, you know, like previously, you know, like in context of, I, when I got back from the trip that I was on, this was a day before I already knew something was up and we, you know, we'd been kind of discussing and I was just very confused. It wasn't getting communicated. So when I saw 10 texts come through from a random number, that was a guy, um, I just kind of had to look and I looked and they were very explicit, you know, kind of text messages with pictures and everything. And it just made my blood boil. Like seriously, I never thought I would have to witness anything like this, but it was what it was. And I just felt all this anger in me and I had this out of body experience of like, what do I do with this? Almost like I went straight to denial and then I couldn't really express it. It wasn't until you know, like an hour later that I could actually wake her up and express it. And I, you know what, I couldn't even raise my voice. And I think on reflection, that was actually what I was more frustrated about. And I had more pain about was that I couldn't stand up for myself in that situation. And that was another big lesson I took and, you know, learned from, but the actual experience of working through the infidelity, we talked about it very openly. And, you know, I just, had a lot of questions, which she answered. Um, she told me, you know, it wasn't about me. Like this was about her trying to deal with some stuff she didn't really know what to do with. And I just, I, I was able to communicate that this was a breach of our union, our trust, you know, trust is one of my top values. Um, and what we did is we, yeah, we tried to work through it for a couple of weeks together, living together. And then um, I found out, I communicated to her very clearly that, okay, I don't want you to speak to this guy again. I want you to delete his number and I want you to have nothing to do with him. So two or three days later, I found out she's still texting him and there was um, stuff coming through to her phone from him. She'd also within the week hung out with him once and gone for a run when she told me she was going to hang out with a friend. And then this close friend of hers, I heard, was also lying to me about her whereabouts. So there was like a triangle going on. So I just felt extremely kind of trapped. And then meanwhile, through that, my ex-wife was actually just going out and getting drunk a lot. So I was at home alone. And this was a very confusing time for me because I felt like 
I was home alone doing something, you know, I had done something wrong and it was like, she's doing this, she's hanging out with friends. And I, it was very confusing to me is like the way it was positioned, the way I was processing it was like, Oh, I feel like I'm the one that's having to work out how to handle this. Like she wasn't really interested. So then, uh, after I called her out on that, um, she said, okay, no, look, I'll, you know, hundred percent get rid of him now. Like, and then we talked about like, a what's, you know, what are the next stages? And, you know, we both kind of proposed, let's try living apart for a couple of months to see what our hearts say. And I was really, really scared of this, obviously, because of the trust thing. And um, I didn't know what she was going to do. She was also, um, you know, kind of going through health harm things at the time, which was really also challenging to juggle because the empathetic side of me was like, I don't want to do anything and get angry to push her over the edge. If I'm the one that pushes her over, I'll never be able to live with that. So there was a lot of things I was kind of juggling. Um, but yeah, then we split up for two months and lived apart. Um, and then we tried to move back in together. And then we went through a period of a week of replaying the start of our relationship. Honestly, it was like a movie. We came back together with intentions to try again. And it was like trying to go back to day one. And it was just replaying and replaying things. And it was very weird for my body and my mind to experience that. It was like half of it was like, oh, this is nice. This is getting back to where we used to be. But then the other half I knew was just not acknowledging all of the unspoken stuff we still hadn't worked through. It felt like we were trying to put a Band-Aid on something that needed like a proper doctor to go in and do some like root surgery on. So that's kind of what it looked like. And then from there, we just kind of, it, it lingered for another two or three months where we split up again outside of the house and none of us, either of us were not um, strong enough to make that decision to really let go of the attachment. And then, um, you know, like one day it was her that actually said, hey, we need to actually, actually go our ways here. And I remember that was the most challenging part because I was still at the time in denial and I wanted to hold on to what we had and try to still piece it back together. It wasn't until after that I could actually start to move through and realize like, why did I actually want to hold on to that? Like that, you know, my values have been compromised and all this other stuff that deeply hurt me. And, but I had my blinkers on, you know, and I was just attached again, like you said, to the fantasy of what it could be and what it could evolve into beyond this rather than the reality in front of me. It's hard, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you're not going into a marriage thinking you're going to get divorced. And I hear that you guys tried, you guys talked about it. And ultimately it wasn't something that was working for either of you. And when you went through this process, I can imagine you've alluded to it earlier, the shame and the guilt that came with it. Was it really hard to tell family and friends about what was going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really challenging because um, it wasn't challenging to tell my parents because I'm pretty open to them. I, I, I was open to them. Yeah, I was very open to them about the content the emotions because I was going through so much was harder to really just let myself break down to them because there is this 
thing embedded in me as a man that I think I inherited growing up was like, you have to be the rock and the anchor through everything. And, and that was the process. That's a lot of pressure. And that was my process after we broke up was really just going into my feminine energy and letting myself cry and letting myself heal deeply and be a mess for a while. But telling people was an interesting process because we, we had a wedding planned, right? We got married initially at city hall, like very quickly, but we actually had a wedding planned in New Zealand where we wanted to bring everyone together, our friends and our family to do a proper ceremony. So this is the other crazy part of that story. Three months, like after, like I found out she um, was cheating on me, we were meant to fly to New Zealand with, you know, 80 of our family and friends and do a ceremony. And we'd already put down $25,000 of a deposit on that, which we did not get back. So that was a huge part of this. Once we decided was ringing everyone that already had flights from America, you know, telling everyone that, Oh, here's the reason why we're not doing this. And that because our marriage is actually ending. And that was, really really challenging and there was this all this stuff of like what are they going to think you know are they going to all be talking about this and because you know you know what the collective view on this is it's like it's the guilt it's the shame and the embarrassment and oh I feel so sorry for them and it's hard not to buy into that but again that was part of the process of going through this taught me actually you know what it would have been so much worse had we just gone through with it and just tried to work through everything that was telling us that it wasn't an alignment and go to this wedding and put it on with all these all these emotions underneath it that weren't being talked about. Like To me, that would have been the real tragedy and that would have been uh, the real thing that would have been hard to uphold you know this was just about letting go of not caring how others kind of were going to perceive it and knowing that we had great friends around us and great family around us that would just be like well I trust their judgment okay well it's not ideal but you know I really do you know trust these guys so yeah that was kind of the process and it was a it was a big learning curve of really learning just to let go of the image of yourself and the image of trying to project like, you know, cause I think also, you know, like marriage has this identity around it where, Oh, you have to project the perfection of it. But like not a lot of people let their marriage look messy to other people because, oh, they're worried what other people think. Oh, are you guys all right? Like, you're going to break up? Well, no, we're just moving through stuff together. And that's what I'm experiencing now in my partnership is that the other side of that, where it's allowed to be messy and it's allowed to not be this perfectly curated image um, of pressure that you're just holding together. That's awesome, Cody. And exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this topic today for this episode, because we're always thinking about how we can project the best versions of ourselves. And of course, why don't we? We want to be proud of that. We want to be happy about that. And 
now I want to be able to challenge that for everyone and share that when we learn about these vulnerable moments, when we learn from people's challenging experiences, we learn ourselves how to reflect, how to communicate in healthy ways, and to realize that divorce, arguments, disagreements, all these kind of things that people view as negative are normal parts of our lives. And I even want to challenge what you mentioned earlier about, you know, there are a lot of gender roles where men are usually seen as strong, don't cry, kind of need to hold it together, be stoic, and women are typically more emotional. But to even challenge that idea, because I hope that we can be in a world where emotions aren't in higher spectrum and it's normal to feel sad, it's normal to be upset, but instead how you decide to respond and react to it, how you decide to grow and handle it is much more important because we all go through tough moments where it'll be upsetting, it'll make us angry, we could be happy, we could be excited. But how we decide to talk about it, how we deal with it, I think that's much more important. I would absolutely agree. And, you know, a lot of the work I do when, when I, you know, I'm a transformational guide too around this. I work with a lot of men that are going through divorce or people that are going through big transformations in their life. And one of the commonalities I see that come up time and time again about what you were speaking to is labeling our own emotions. Yes, what identifying. I, identifying and people putting them in a category of good or bad. Now, I want people to really get this. If you have good emotions and bad emotions, you're going to chase the good ones and you're going to avoid the bad. And what that does is it puts our body and our nervous system in a state of only looking for a tiny part of the spectrum and moving our behavior at all costs to not have to experience the others. What I challenge people to do is say, look, emotions just are, they all have a role. They all have messages to tell us. And the way that I love to say to people to look at their emotions is just imagine whatever emotion comes up. is just a little kid, a little kid in the corner of the classroom. We can all probably, you know, like identify with this. We've all had a kid in class that is the quiet one that stands in the corner that, you know, isn't sure where he belongs. He doesn't, he's too shy to want to be part of the main group, but he desires to be part of everyone. Now, the way I treat my emotions is just whatever one comes up, treat it like that little kid in the corner of the classroom that just wants nothing more than to be loved and accepted and just invite them in with the rest of it without a label, without putting any meaning on it, but just, just hug it and be with it. And it's, it's, it's just an emotion. It's nothing more. The more we get into the labels and how we categorize them, that's when the meaning starts to stack up and they become heavy or light and this or that. And uh, I, I just think they are a part of our experience and it's what makes this life a beautiful canvas that we get to experience. Like each emotion is a color and, all the colors have a role to play in making our canvas beautiful because at the end of the day, it's, it's all just art. That's what I believe anyway. Yeah. I, I guess I, I just want to agree. You know, I like how you said labeling 
because when we start categorizing just, if something is good or bad, then of for course anyone we in a relationship don't want to go out towards there, the bad, and we almost have this subconscious bias that comes up, and body, we try to turn away from it. Just know but when that we learn to, to identify on, each emotion and you embrace to divorce, it, no, you you're identifying up, that you're angry right now, and when it, you're angry. These are the things that you can do to feel better. Maybe you need going the space, to be the time, five minutes, ten minutes, like, how, however long you need to be angry. Need to and afterwards, mean anything about when you. you've cooled down, it doesn't need to mean you know that, that you're that's a failure. When you make your rational decision of there are relationships in our life you know, being able to that have the entire time on it where it serves a purpose. One way we can and communicate if, to others that's if, healthy. If a thing has passed and its expiry date, Cody, the worst I thing really that you could do for your body you and your nervous system, your mind, your, your spirit, and your soul is to stay in a place a that you know is not good for you. And how your current and relationships it's has the meaning that we give so these that ultimately and create if you, have any you know, the misery and the suffering long term. And I guess I just want any listeners out there to know that like, it's okay to want to move on. It's okay to want to change and it's okay to let people go and them being hurt about it is not your responsibility, but what is your responsibility is what is the best action and decision for you, no matter what the outcome looks like, uh, because that to me, that's where all the growth and the learning comes from. And it's where you stay in your personal power. And when you stay in what is good for you and rooted in yourself and your being. And yeah, I just really want to really communicate that there's nothing about it that's wrong. It just is. And the more we can lean into that, the more freedom that we will have to move through the changes of life. Because you think about it. Our whole world, nature, everything around us is built upon the concept of change. And change is like the only constant in the world. So the more that we can get lovingly intimate with change and be okay with change in our life, the, the greater degree to which that we can flow with the rhythms of our life. And I believe that's where peace comes with on a moment-by-moment -moment basis for a lot of people. So, yeah. I appreciate you for, I appreciate you for taking the time to ask these questions and, um, you know, bringing this like beautiful conversation to your listeners. Thank you, Cody. And I love what you just said. I agree with all of that. You know, when I think back in my own relationships, there have definitely been moments where I think about, oh, you know, what are people going to say? How will I tell people about this? And you start kind of considering <laughs> all of that, even though you know what's best for you, which in my case, it was to end a relationship. Yeah. But here I am so worried about, will my relationships with friends change? Are we have mutual friends together? All the, this noise. Whereas I didn't really prioritize myself it was almost like i was using all these things as an excuse mm -hmm. and of course these things are so important because they're part of your social life they're part of your group you it's awkward it's hard and it is important but 
I want to remind everyone, just like what Cody said, the most important person is you. What you need, what you get out of something, and what is important for you. I know I repeated the word important like five times there, but that's just how important it is. (laughs) It's really important. It is. (laughs) And I think we don't really learn that, you know, as a child, you kind of have some idea of, you know, what the hierarchy of the people in your life are like, but you don't really pay attention. And then as you get older, we're being told that being selfish is bad. Being selfish is the worst thing you could do. You always want to consider other people. And then that idea of selfishness has its own lens and layer of negative stigma to it. But actually, what I want to do is reframe that and say that when you think about yourself and you put yourself first, it means you're investing in yourself and you're caring for yourself much like that oxygen mask example I love to use. You want to be able to put that on yourself before you can all the other areas of your life or the other people in your life. Your friends, your family aren't the ones who need to live with the decisions that you make. Well, they kind of do. But in this case, what I'm saying is at the end of the day, you know what you need to do for yourself. And and might I add, you're also teaching others to put themselves first by leading by example. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Cody. And I'm wondering, where can the listeners find you? Is there anything you'd like to plug or share? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you just want to talk, connect with me, um, look at what I'm up to on Instagram, um, just look me up um, under under Cody Matheson Packer. Um, so that's C-O-D-Y-M-A-T-H-I-E-S-O-N-P-A-C-K-E-R. Or um, I also have a podcast as well called Artist Redefined Podcast. That's on Instagram as well. And that is a podcast just inspiring people to be the artists of their own lives, bringing together different artists that you wouldn't consider artists, you know, beyond the label and the stigma of what an artist is. And just, yeah, bringing people back to how incredibly powerful they are, all these powerful tools within us and around us. And so, yeah, you can check me out on any of those platforms. Please drop me a message if you feel like to connect. Um, I'd love to hear what you're going through and growing through and, yeah, just talk to you. So, um, yeah, thank you. I love that, what you're going and growing through. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. And to support my podcast and help reach others, please follow and share it with anyone looking to learn more about mental health. For any listeners who are visual learners or would like some more resources, I invite you to read my blog posts on Shervin.ca and to follow my Instagram at Therapy with Shervin for updates. I'll also include Cody's links in the show notes. And once again, Cody, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And I appreciate all that you're doing in the world too. keep shining your light. Thank you. Okay. Bye everyone.